Welcome back to The Author Biz. I'm Stephen Campbell, and this is the show where we deliver the information you need to become the CEO of your author business. We first heard from today's guest, author Scott Paul, in mid-2016 on an episode titled How to Make Real Money in Short Stories. At that time, Scott, who was writing only short fiction, had generated a total of $10,000 in revenue in his first three months as an indie writer by writing several short books in his Athena Lee Chronicles series. Well, a lot has changed since May for Scott, who writes under the name T.S. Paul. He's launched a new series in a new genre, which, as you'll hear, is doing pretty well. And he's also writing longer. Each of the new books in the Federal Witch series are novel length, which he launched by, <laughs> you guessed it, writing a short story to test the idea. In a great example of striking while the iron is hot, Scott tells the story of seeing sales data for the Federal Witch short story and stopping everything else he was writing to focus on that series. Scott's story is inspiring to me, and I know to many others as well, but you'll hear some things in the interview that you may not agree with regarding his thoughts on publishing, which is fine. One of the great things about Scott's story is that it is a great example of self-publishing success, but it's also an example that there is no one single path to success. As always, we'll have show notes for everything we mentioned during the show at theauthorbiz.com. Oh, and if you have comments or questions on the show, the best place for those is inside the AuthorBiz Facebook group. Not the Facebook page, but the Facebook group. You'll find a link to the group in the show notes. I don't know whether or not you can hear it in my voice, but I've got a little bit of a cold, so I'm going to keep this intro super short. I do want to mention that Scott's last visit to the Author Biz in May of 2016 was the second most popular episode in the history of the show. So if you didn't hear that, it, it might be worth listening to. You might enjoy that. This particular interview starts off with me asking Scott to catch us up on what's happened in his indie publishing career since that interview in May of 2016. I was in the middle of my science fiction series, The Athena Lee Chronicles. Um, I kept putting books out once every two to three weeks. Um, I did a prequel, which didn't do that well, but it's done better now since then. And I did an in-between book. I squeezed one in in the middle and that left me with with one piece of advice to give to new authors is that if you plan if, well even if you don't plan to do some kind of an in between book or like a, a step aside book where you're going to write a little thing about a, another character leave some space between your books don't make them so tight give it two weeks give it a month you know in my case I left a year but give give um, some space between the books so when the first book ends – You're talking about from a plotting standpoint. From a plotting standpoint. Okay. So when the first book ends and the next book starts, don't make it the next day because take it from me if you have to squeeze a book <laughs> in and you're scratching your head, how do I do this? Because I almost trashed it twice because it was making me insane, and I only had to fudge the timeline once. But I did manage to make it work. But it was just making me nuts trying to squeeze it in. So I did a did a, sta a, a step aside, which is called Uncommon Life. Um, and then you know you did something else. And I, I remember when we talked, we talked about you writing these Wednesday stories on your blog, oh, yeah. and it was it was oh, yeah. a, something that you just did. It was it was 
sort of related to your Athena Lee series, but yes. it was something a little bit different. And you just wrote these stories every week. And I you know, maybe a, maybe a thousand words. Or, oh, you're still doing it? Okay, great. So maybe a thousand words or so. And then all of a sudden you packaged it up and turned it into a book and it sold pretty well. It did. And what I did was I, I, I wrote an anchor story, what I call an anchor story. So I wrote a uh, three to 5,000 word story that I had not published anywhere, including my blog, and threw that in there as a big story that the kind of like a the main story. So I did two of those. I did one called Wilson's War, mm -hmm. which was – and then I did another one called um, A Colony of Cats <laughs> with two Ts, not one. And um, uh, so yes, I packaged those up, and they sold really well. I mean surprisingly for stuff that I'd already written for the most part. I took everything off the blog. Everything came down as soon as the book went up because you know Amazon has that rule. You can post 10%, but the, if it's only 120 pages, I need to take it all down. So mm -hmm. yeah. So that was interesting, and, and so you're, you're continuing on. Everything is just going as normal, and from a revenue standpoint, we know that between roughly February – because you're, you're essentially just over a year as a published author now, right? When, when was your one-year anniversary date? The 17th of February. Okay, so we're recording this on the 27th, so 10 days past a year. And in the first three months, you did about $10,000. How'd you do between May and September? Between May and September, 33700 Okay, so then total of $43,000 then over that period of time. And I happen to know this because we talk on a fairly regular basis that your wife – had an idea for something different that you might want to consider. Yes, she doesn't read science fiction, so she wasn't reading my books, <laughs> not at all. And we we talk about it. We'll so we'll hash out a plot or we'll hash out an issue. Um, a, a good example is that um, after book four, I was trying to come up with some sort of a hook, and we decided to make give my my girlfriend or give my give my main character a girlfriend. So we made her a lesbian. And that was my wife's idea, not mine. <laughs> and it actually worked, and it put me in some niche markets that I didn't expect to be in. So mm -hmm. that was kind of cool, and I've continued it. My books are very clean. They don't have any sex, and she just has a girlfriend. It's not a big deal. So, um, so that was her idea, but she doesn't read them. She just comments on them. So she decided that, that, that I need to write Paranormal. And you know, I read paranormal, so I was like, "Well, you know, I could do that." So I started thinking about it. Um, so then, in September, early September, um, I had already planned. Well, I, actually, I, we'll step back. August. In August, I had planned to write and go ahead and do it. So I thought up an idea that I wanted, and I commissioned three covers in advance. Uh, sorry, actually, four covers. I commissioned four covers in advance for a paranormal series. Um, the day after I commissioned them, I realized, hey, I don't have titles. So I had to real quick cash out some titles and send those to my designer. But see, I don't, also didn't have plots. <laughs> all I had was a main character and mm -hmm. I kind of an idea of what I wanted. Um, all of my titles reflect the plot. So I had kind of a one-line plot for each book along with a title. So that was a plan. So the, the covers were in process. She was My designer was working on them. Um, I had one of them already done. I had the first one, but I didn't have anything else. So uh, end of August, first part of September, I'm taking my wife to work, and I'm on my way back home because it's about a 
15, 20-minute drive. And I'm thinking, what would happen if I wrote a prequel to a series that I don't already have? <laughs> because I was thinking, well, maybe my sci-fi people might like a prequel to see what I'm going to be have coming up in October. I was planning to write it in October. So in the space of 24 hours, I wrote three um, – 4,000 – well, 3,300-word chapters. So I, I dropped 10,000 words to my editors in the space of 24 hours. So the next day I went online, bought a quickie cover from somebody online and published it. So in 24 hours I had a whole uh, a 55-page book called Born a Witch drafted by the FBI. And and what were your expectations at that point? I had nothing. I figured my fans might pick it up just cuz it's something different and it was the very first time I'd priced anything at 99 cents, so I had no clue what was going to happen. And I threw it up there. And in the space of two weeks, I had sold like 3,000 copies. <laughs> and I was freaking out. And all of my friends were like, you need to write that series. And I'm like, no kidding. So at the at the time, I was halfway into the next Athena Lee, um, which was book 10. And I had 10 chapters written. And I literally turned off Scrivener, Scrivener closed that window, opened up a fresh window and went boom and started writing it. So I spent three weeks writing it, knocked it out. The first book was Conjuring Quantico. My original plan was to release it um, on Halloween. I released it October the 1st, and then it just went nuts, and it totally blew me away <laughs> how well that book did. Now, from a uh... From my perspective, just from an outsider's perspective, here's what I saw that was different about this book. Uh, the cover was different. I, I love the cover of this book. It was the longest thing, to the best of my knowledge, that you'd ever written. 275 and, pages. And the genre was different. I mean, you, you yes. had been writing um, you know, 10, 20, 30,000 word stories. They were getting longer, but this was a full-length novel. So all these things combined to launch at the same time and it just blew up didn't it it did it blew it my my readers loved it my crossover readers loved it so the people who liked the sci-fi also jumped onto the the paranormal it was something new it was original um it's sort of alternate history the 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 world takes a left turn at world war one when the the everyone realizes that there's paranormal creatures running around uh world war one is different world war two is different the um, there is no Pentagon because the we still have Department of the War, of the, the Army and Department of the Navy. So the world took a different turn. There's different politicians. There's different things. Yes, there's modern times, but Kennedy was never president. Neither was FDR. So I mean, there's some, there's some goofy. You know, I've done some things in history that are kind of funny. Yes, there was a New Deal, but it was Calvin Coolidge's New Deal, not. Um, yeah. So there's some there's some there's some fun things that I kind of did with history. Because I'm a history buff, so I kind of had some fun with it. Um, uh, but yeah, it, it went crazy. And the covers are really pretty. Um, I'm used um, – uh, Heather Hamilton Center is my um, is my artist. She's also an author, so she kind of knows what, you know, what I want. And um, she did a very good job, and she's working on more. And at the moment, I'm on book three. Um, I actually have covers to book eight. All right, and the title for the first book. You've already mentioned the title Conjuring Quantico, but that's that title is perfect. <laughs> it is. And and all of my titles reflect the plot. That's it's been that way since the Theta Lee. If you look back at all my titles, they all are the plot. 
Somewhere in there is that plot. That's what the title reflects. So they always do that. So Born a Witch, drafted by the FBI, was the little short one. Um, it has sold by itself 9,779 copies with 659,000 pages read, and it's only 55 pages. Wow. Um, I tossed it in my very first free. I never said I was going to do free, but I was asked by a friend of mine to put it in a promo for Halloween, and I only put it on for three days. And I and I asked, I said, well, how many copies does people usually give away? And she goes, well, most people give away 2,000 copies over the three-day weekend. And I'm like, okay, that's cool. I can handle that. So when my when my book, when 6,500 copies got given away, I was kind of freaking out <laughs> just a little bit. <laughs> and, so, and why? Because you're thinking, oh, this is great because all these new readers are going to be exposed to my stuff? No, not so much. I was thinking about the, the $1,500 that I was losing, quote unquote. So yeah. Um, uh, so if you add the free copies in with the sold copies, I've sold – if you count the freezes sold, I've sold 15,000 copies of that little tiny book, and it still sells. I still sell like 30 a day. At yeah, I checked, I checked the rankings, and uh, the ranking for that little free book is uh, is still pretty good. It's not free. Oh, uh, yes, the little, <laughs> the little 99-cent book. Yeah, I yes. put back at 99 cents, but yeah, I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't do free. And did you notice a, a sales bump after the 6,500 giveaways for Conjuring Quantico? I don't think so. I didn't – I really couldn't tell. I've only had one or two comments from people who actually got it for free. Um, most people just bought it or bought the new, bought the series itself. Mm-hmm. Um, but then when, you know, when I did – when I released Conjuring Quantico, I made – well, that book by itself in October sold $26,000. That's by itself. That's just, mm-hmm. uh, just October. That's just that book alone, not – all the other books combined, and that's after between May and September, making a total of thirty-three thousand dollars. Yes. So I, I had planned out that I was I was scheduled to make, eh, looking at my sales for the the science fiction series, I was expecting ten thousand a month, not what October brought me. I wasn't expecting that at all. And for people out there listening, going, this is crazy. I don't believe it. It's complete BS. I can tell you that <laughs> Scott has a, this thing that he does every so often where I'll just be on Facebook and all of a sudden an instant message will pop up that it's a screenshot of, of his Amazon earnings for a period of time. And I remember him sending me something for Conjuring Quantico. And you know w- what I said in my own mind, I can't say on this podcast right now, <laughs> but it was – Oh my God! This thing yes. is going crazy. It is, and then then so it went crazy, and I immediately dove into book two. So and, and what's happened with Athena Lee while this is going on? Did you just decide I'm just putting this aside for a while? In between books, in between me writing book one and book two of the Federal Witch series, I went back and finished the last ten chapters. Okay, I real quick knocked out and threw it up there because in November I actually released. Um, two books. I released the uh, book 10 of Athena Lee and book two of the Federal Witch series. And how long is book 10 of Athena Lee? Um, it's right in where the rest of them are. It, rings, it comes in at about 170 pages. Okay. All right. So those that's kind of my thing for the – Athena Lee will never get longer than that. That's that's kind of where it's supposed to be. Okay. So the second book, how, how did it did it have the same explosive nature? It did. It had the same thing, and I actually got um, um, the Kindle Awards for most sales 
not the top award, of course, but the lower ones for both books for both the end. I'm now at four months in a row for that. <laughs> um, so yeah, we're uh, it sold like crazy. Wow. So this is November. How far behind is Amazon in in paying you? And I'm I, I ask this question for for uh, for a later point. Well, it, it, Amazon pays every eight weeks. Okay. So October is the end of the year. So that means so for money wise, I mean when you're trying to do your calculations for what you have to pay for taxes for last year, October mm-hmm. the end of October is your cutoff. Okay, and then you. Like all authors, you get a 1099 from Amazon. Yes. And you told me what that 1099 was for for your first, not a full year, but for your first eight months. That's eight months. Yeah. So what what, what was the number, if you don't mind sharing? It's 90,000. Okay. <laughs> That's amazing. I just, I just love this story. I love, I love what you've done from just basically just taking stuff and writing it and putting it out there and letting the readers decide. Yes. And they've decided that they like your stuff. They did. And I was actually approached um, – I got into audio for them too. Mm-hmm. And I was approached by – well, we'll call it four different um, audio publishers who saw the book in the – because it was number one for a while – and they were like, oh, you know, here's a paranormal book and blah, blah, blah. And they contacted me. So I was contacted both by, po- by Podium and by Tantor and by a couple others. And? I turned them down. <laughs> <laughs> of course. <laughs> <laughs> because uh, the main reason I turned them down, and no offense to Podium, and I'm going to say something bad to them, but it, it, it's not on purpose. But they didn't bother to do any research on me. Um, the woman that I spoke to was very nice and, you know, the conversation went very well and she was kind of doing the whole pump up the author thing just a little bit. And I understand that. And she kept calling me a new author and I had 20 books out by then. And I was like, no, I'm not a new author. And she kept saying, you know, this is how the audio system works. And I said, yes, I already have a science fiction audiobook out that I did myself. And she's like, oh, really? <laughs> <laughs> so anybody, you know, could go on Google and within ten minutes can learn just about anything you need to know about me as an author. But apparently these people did not bother to do that. So they offered me seven percent, which is awful. Yes. It's awful. And and she did say that after five hundred copies sold, they could bump it to twelve percent, but that's still awful. And then um Tanter, I'm assuming offered me the same thing, but I never actually got into discussion with them because I signed with somebody else. Okay, so, and, and so what will you be making off your audiobooks? 20%. Okay. When we first talked, um, you had a some unusual opinions about reviews. In, 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 I still have them. Okay, so <laughs> why don't you just share those opinions <laughs> about reviews? Well, my, my opinions, my opinions way back in May was that reviews don't matter. And they, to be truthful, they really don't. And, and they have gotten better i mean my my reviews if you bother to read them have gotten better i mean there are don't get me wrong there are people detractors and they are people who 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 like to slam people just out of spite um but i don't really think that they matter all that much um i actually had some removed off of one of my amazon books which is highly unusual that amazon digitally doesn't do that I had the same comment pop on a pop up on several books from one person, and it was not a very nice comment. And I took it to Amazon, and I didn't ask them to remove review. I just asked them to review the reviews, mm-hmm. um, telling them that this guy person was a troll and that he was preventing other people from buying products on Amazon. 
And what I thought was amusing out of the whole thing is that Amazon removed actually seven of his reviews, but they left the original one up. (laughs) (laughs) And in general, the reviews for the Conjuring Quantico series, I did not go in and and look at a large variety of them, but I just looked overall. You're you're around four stars. I am, and there's a lot of people – the negative ones – um, say things like childish and things like that. But you know, it, it, it is aimed at a young adult market, even though adults read it. Mm-hmm. And it, it is very similar to my Athena Lee series in the fact that I don't do – I'm not going to explain every picture that's on the wall in the room. It's not going to happen. Yes, we walk into a room. OK, the guy is standing there. I don't need to describe the room. So – well, let, this is – you and I talked a little bit before we came on. I was on uh, the Kindle Chronicles podcast yes. last week, and we talked about the eras of publishing. The, the, the host was referring back to an interview that I had done on the Author Biz, and I'll put a link to it in the show notes, with Harry Bingham, who had been traditionally published and uh, wanted to renegotiate his deal when it came – to the terms of the uh, digital book sales. He, he felt like what he was being offered and what he'd always gotten was unfair. And to be honest, it is unfair. Uh, but they flatly refused, so he self-published the book and had a great deal of success with it. And so he describes the first three eras of publishing as uh, the first era being the one where the publishers had all the control and they were selling to small bookstores. And, and there was no mammoth bookstore that coma- could could demand discounts and things like this. The publishers had all the control. The authors were getting these wonderful advances, and everyone assumed that life would go on like that forever. And then the <laughs> big bookstores came came onto the scene, Barnes and Noble, and, and you worked at one of those big, big bookstores for a while, which is why I wanted to talk to you about this. So you have some experience working at a bookstore, yes. and, and those bookstores were able to demand significant discounts, and, and Costco became a player, and Walmart became a player in, in books. And, and Harry refers to that as the second era of publishing. And then Amazon came along. And Harry refers to that as the Jeff Bezos or the third era of publishing. And in his mind, the fourth era of publishing, and I do believe that we're in a fourth era of publishing. I'm just not – I'm not sure how to define it yet. But in, in his mind, the fourth era of publishing is one where even traditionally published authors like him can consider whatever the best method of publication is for their book. So, Scott, uh, off, offer your thoughts on, on that whole riff, if you would. Well, um, I was a Walden Books manager for like four years. So I worked at two different stores as a manager, and I had actually worked at a different store as their receiver, so their shipping and handling guy. And you're right about the fact that, you know, authors were getting big, big money and the books were coming out there, but the books weren't always good. I mean, the the, the publisher would push a book for, for the holiday or for Christmas or, or Valentine's Day or whatever and say, this is the next hot book. And it would sit there on the shelf and gather mm-hmm. dust. Mm-hmm. So, you know, you wonder what the author's getting or did they get anything if they put that out there? Yeah, and, well, and they, I, they got their advance, whatever the well, yeah. advance was. But beyond that, uh, perhaps nothing. Which is which is why I took kind of the lackadaisical approach when I first started publishing because I knew in my soul that new authors don't make money, so I wasn't expecting any of this, <laughs> not even a little bit. <laughs> so when I had my first hundred and fifty dollars in February, I was like, "Hey, okay, that's cool." 
So, you know, and but I knew as a reader that, you know, for things like reviews that that it doesn't matter because I never paid any attention to it in the bookstore. And, and most people in the bookstore don't pay attention to it either. They just look at the title. They look at the, 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 the literature around it and then just grab it. And, and because we're all, you know, we're all the heroes of our own stories. Um, in, in Harry's case, he was a traditionally published author. He did choose to go out and self-publish. He, he selected that option. He did it. It was successful. So in, in his mind, that is the fourth era of publishing. Well, and, and from an author point of view, I mean, yes, if you're Patterson or King or Martin or one of those guys, you're making big money. Your mm-hmm. percentage is really high. It's no big deal. But for regular people, the average Joe that puts a book out and you say you get a publishing deal with the big whatever, why would you take 7% or 12% or whatever that is when you can get 70% with Amazon? I mean it doesn't sound like a whole lot of money, but if you're selling 1,000 copies at $2 a head that you're going to get, that's – you know. You're going to get all of that. Why? And for it, at for the ten percent, you're going to get bupkis basically. And then you're still going to have to do your own advertising because most of the time the publishers don't do it. You don't realize that, right? They but do it for King, but they don't do it for you. In the case of of Harry, I think I can't I can't remember the number, but I think he had a mid five figures advance on the last book that he that he published traditionally. So it's not an insignificant amount of money, but if you really believe that your book is going to do well, to settle for anything other than a uh, an advance that you think is fair um, seems, I don't know, maybe short-sighted unless that's really your thing. You really want to be traditionally published. You really want to see your book in bookstores, and there are people out there like that, and you know, God bless them. They, they do, do whatever is, is right for you. My aunt is that way. She um, has a book, and she's doing the let's find an, uh, a, a publisher thing. Mm-hmm. And I keep telling her, put it on Amazon. She doesn't want to do it. She wants to do it the traditional way. Well, let, let's get back to the, this fourth era of publishing because I, I, I like Harry's definition of, of the fourth era of, of publishing. But what I see in talking to people like you is the fourth era of publishing is not only offering options to authors, it's offering options to readers that they've never had before. And so stories like yours that probably wouldn't have been accepted into the traditional publishing path have found like essentially starving readers that that just can't get enough of the kind of stories that you're telling you and and other people that write these stories. Well, yeah. I mean, I put out um, a good example is um, I'm co-writing a science fiction novel with Michael Anderley. So mm-hmm. we posted the uh, cover. We did a cover reveal last night, really late. And already my fans on my Facebook page are like, okay, great. Nice cover. Where's the book? We want the book. <laughs> mm-hmm. And I'm like, dude, I haven't even finished writing the book. <laughs> so I just we just released the first book in December. <laughs> it's like you're killing me here. Because I'm 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 a little I'm a little behind because I did a, a recent on a personal level, I did a move to a different state and kind of got, got screwed up on my writing just Hey, hey, let's let's um let's tout our horn down here in the <laughs> southeast of the United States. Yes, what state yes. did you move to, Scott? I moved to Florida. I was in Missouri, so we moved to Florida. So we drove, you know, it's fourteen hours hours away and uh we we uh funny story we went on vacation in november with the intention of uh borrowing a a relative's rv and driving around in it 
And that kind of fell through. And we lived in an RV in it for, uh, for a month and decided we don't like RVs. And then um, it was still December, and I told my wife, I said, find a place for us to go. And she picked Tallahassee, Florida. So we moved without any furniture. All we had was clothing and the cat. <laughs> so we had an empty apartment with nothing in it except a cat. And of course, clothing. So I had to buy furniture. <laughs> so it was kind of an adventure. <laughs> All right. Um, my thinking on this writing fast process that you do and so many others are doing that has been so successful has changed a lot over the course of the last year. I I will admit to being a bit of a writing snob, not that my writing is is that good, but I would see things that other people wrote and just say, wow, I can't believe that this is selling. And I, I read primarily mysteries and thrillers. And I came across something a couple of, a couple of weeks ago, and I started reading it. It was, it was advertised on Facebook. And I thought, oh, it looks good. So I started reading it. And my first thought was, this writing is terrible. And I read a little further and I thought, I can't read this. It's just terrible. And I read a little further, and all of a sudden, I'm halfway through the book. And by the time I got to the end, I'm like, what the heck? This guy's only written two books? What's wrong with him? And <laughs> I, I thought to myself that I am willing now, as a reader, I am willing to trade, I don't know, the kind of writing that I grew up with reading for more. And I think that there are a lot of people that are like that, and I'm late to the party. Well, one of the things that I get the, probably the most comments about is the oddball typos that pop up in my books. And it has gotten better. My editing team has gotten a lot better. And um, I personally think the reason why there is so much of that with indies and the fact that our readers keep buying them and don't pay attention to it, you know, because I get a lot of people who are like, you know, you need a new editor and that kind of stuff. But those people who say that is maybe one in 20. Mm -hmm. Everyone else ignores it and buys the book. Everyone else and is asking you, when's the book coming out? Like, exactly, you know, the example exactly. that you so, gave, I want it so, now. So the, the, the reason why I think everyone ignores the oddball typo is that so many people now text and that that is their entire world. They do nothing but text all day long. So, so everyone's everyone knows they don't use punctuation. They don't they use misspelling, but they know what the word. Their eyes are are, are their mind is reading the word as their eyes see it, whether it's written properly or not. So their eyes go right across it. They don't even notice it. So if they're reading on their phone or whatever, you know they don't catch the typo. It's only people who are grammar grammar Nazis or people who you know are grammarians or whatever or other authors <laughs> right, <laughs> who are like, right. I can't believe you published this book with this many typos in it, and how dare you and whatever. But you know I'm making money and they're not. Yeah, and that's so, that's <laughs> the other thing that really offends people <laughs> when it's like, and this guy's making money and I write brilliantly and I'm not. <laughs> and 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 to be truthful, and, and my theory on that, and I've said this publicly more than once, is that I would like to have I. Would make my money now, not six months from now or mm -hmm. six years from now. I'm not going to do multiple drafts because it doesn't make any sense to me. I'm going to finish it, toss it to the editors, make a few corrections, and make money. And your readers, if they're not reading your books, they're going to be reading someone else's book because these are people that are always reading. Yes, they are. They are. And they're and they 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 read my books. They read people that I suggest. Um, the past couple of books I've done with with the paranormal series, I've put 
um, first books of new authors in the back. I've done like a tiny blurb with a picture of the cover and say, hey, these are friends of mine. Check out their books. Mm-hmm. And then in, 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 in my way, that's a way for me to pass on um, the pay it forward kind of program that I started doing and to let some new authors kind of get some exposure without, you know, paying for it. Yeah. And, and, and it's a great way to do it. Now let's, let's talk about, um, conjuring Quantico. You mentioned, I think $26,000 in the first month. Where are we now with conjuring Quantico? <laughs> <laughs> okay. So conjuring Quantico by itself um, okay, so all-time numbers for Conjuring Quantico, which is my first book, has made by itself $53,300. <laughs> and that's your first book in this series, not your first book altogether. It's it's one no, it's, of 20-some that you've written so far, but it's the first book in the uh, in the federal series. Yes, not counting the prequel. Right, okay. And then you have two other books that have come out since then. So let's let's sort of wrap the show, sort of tie a bow around the show by talking about where you are at at the end of your first year. How many titles total did you have at the end of the first year? I had twenty five. Okay, and roughly uh, because I didn't ask you to pull this information up before we talked, roughly how much money do you think you made in the first year? through um february 12th whatever the one year anniversary date was oh february 12th to february 12th including the 150 dollars that you made in february of 2016 you mean all time yes total all time two hundred thousand. the 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 paranormal series by itself because i just did those numbers just real quick Mm -hmm. the paranormals by itself has made 131,000. that's all four books wow now that doesn't count the audio which is now just coming online Okay, and then before we before we started talking, you just said, and in February I've made X so far, and I again said something that, if we'd been recording, would have had to been deleted. But <laughs> <laughs> so this year by itself, this year, not last year. Last year was ninety thousand. This mm-hmm. year is ninety one thousand, and okay. it's only February twenty seventh. Yeah. Okay. So. Around 180,000 total then. Yes. Okay. So not a bad first year for a guy who probably thought he was going to make some extra money when he started writing. Pretty much. I thought I'd have enough money to put gas in my car and maybe some new tires. Okay. So what have you done? What have you done? Have you have you done anything crazy with the money other than pay taxes? I have um that's coming. So we have and I have money set aside for that. So we have um we we did the vacation thing. We went on vacation in, in November, but that wasn't that all that expensive. It was mainly food. I took my wife to the beach because she'd never been to the beach before, and the beach ended up costing twice of what it, what I expected it to. So instead of be spending a couple of thousand, I ended up spending a lot more than that. And then um, we've done some hotel rooms here and there, just oddball stuff visiting family. But uh, um, I'm expecting I have a big trip coming up. We're going to uh, Smarter Artists in in April in okay. Texas. Uh huh. And that's going to be very, very expensive. Um, I just made my hotel reservations and at the venue, and they were almost booked up. So I had to get very expensive rooms, and I'm about to pay more for a hotel room than I have ever paid in my entire life. <laughs> so, <laughs> okay, one so. one last one last thing for people out there listening to this and banging their head against their desk, 
saying, why isn't this happening to me? Um, you are, you're part of the 20 books to 50 K group. You're a big part of that group. You're probably one of the, member. yeah, a founding member. You are in there offering advice all the time. What yes. would your advice be to the person who's written a few books and who's struggling and hears these numbers and goes, I, I can't even imagine this. What, what would you suggest that they do? Well, take a hard look at your books. I mean, what does your cover look like? Does it match the genre that it's supposed to be in? You know, if if you've written a book and it's a good book and you've gotten, well, I don't care about reviews, but if you've gotten some reviews and you you've uh, haven't been nailed by people saying this is awful, your 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 literature is awful, or you have bad spelling or whatever, take a look at it. Does it match the match the genre? Does the cover match the genre? Um, are you advertising at all? You need to do something. Um, even if it's a dollar a day, you advertise on Facebook. Do something small. I spend a thousand a week on advertising. You're doing right that now? now. Okay. I'm doing that right now. Okay. So that's significant money. It is. But you know, I'm also making significant money. Quite a quite a bit more than that. Yes. Yes. <laughs> so yes, I do. I do. Uh, we'll call it eight hundred to. 800 to 1500 a day. That's a ballpark number. Okay. And or I can afford to do a week's worth of advertising. And you, what I tell people is my for advertising on the 20 books group is do not spend on a single ad more than you make in a day, whether it's from your real job or your writing job. That seems like good advice. Yes. Cuz you can make it up easily. If you do it if you do big money, you're going to screw yourself because if you don't make the get it back, you're in trouble. Now, when you started doing the ads, were you instantly good at it or did you have to experiment to find find what worked? I had to experiment to find what worked. Um, I also didn't have um, – unlike my promise from back in May, I still don't have a mailing list. I don't use them. <laughs> and people will think that's insane, but I don't do it. So I, I use my Facebook page and I use my blog. So to build up the people that are following me on Facebook, I did some crazy kind of goofy things. Um, when I was playing with ads. So I did things like um, take a picture of the cat, boost it to people who like science fiction and cats. And then once I get likes, take those likes and send them an ad for the book, which worked about half the time. Working about but half the time is pretty darn good. <laughs> it is. And it and it made for some fun stuff. So uh, it it's one of those things that encouraged me to write the short stories and whatever. So yes, but you, you if you're a new author, you need to do something. Don't just throw your book up on Amazon and expect excuse me, accept accept people to to buy it because it's not going to happen. I mean, there's millions of people up there who aren't selling anything because they didn't bother to advertise it or to put it on social media or do something because you have to. You don't have a choice anymore. You have to put it on social media. Mhm. And when you were doing this experimentation with ads, this was presumably as you were learning this, it was when you were making less money and you were probably spending less money on ads. When you were when you were running experimental ads, how much were you spending? Mm, I probably spent $100 total. Okay. Because so, I did little tiny stuff and I didn't do it until I was six months in. I mean I was – Five six months published before I even did a single. Okay, so ad. six months in, you've already made thirty forty thousand dollars. Yeah, but I was real. T I didn't want to give away the thirty thousand. Right, but I right. also didn't have the thirty thousand dollars because you remember we Amazon pays on an eight week schedule. Right, right. 
So, you know, I did a, I did a few goofy things. I did some of the ads and then I started doing real ads. It's $5 a day. And I still use $5 a day, $5 a day for two weeks at a time or three weeks at a time. Or actually, I just have a continuous one now. But at the time, it was $5 a day for two weeks and run it for a little while. And then I'll change it up and do something different. Okay. Have you done anything with Amazon ads? I have Amazon ads running right now. I actually have four of them. And how are they working for you? Um, Not all that great, but I also get more KU because I'm in Kindle Unlimited. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm, I get more KU than sales and Amazon doesn't track KU. So, you know, you don't, um, Oh, you don't, so you don't, you don't, you don't, you're not able to get a return on investment calculation from from all of that. No, but when you take into account that using yesterday's numbers that I make, I get at least 150,000 page reads a day. So it's coming from somewhere. Yeah. So I have four ads running on Amazon. Those are the big ones. And then the the Facebook ads actually have like six running right now. And then I also have some BookBub ads running. Not a BookBub deal, but BookBub ads. Well, Scott, I can't tell you how much I've enjoyed our our digital friendship and uh, and you're reaching out and sharing numbers with me and, and sharing numbers with the audience. I find it inspiring. I am so happy for you and all the success you've had and the way you share it with other people. I mean, you really are a role model in the author community, and I thank you for all that you do, and I thank you for coming on the show. Where's the best place for listeners who want to learn more from you to, to find you? Best place to find me is at 20 books to 50K. You can find me on my Facebook page, um, which is actually uh, Facebook. You just Google Forgotten Engineer and you'll find me there. But Or on my uh, my blog, which is uh, tspaul.blogspot.com. But I will answer questions there on all of those. But the best place to find me is if you're an author or an editor or a, even a reader is check me out on 20 books to 50K. And that's the number 20, BK to T-O-5-0-K. T- 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 and we'll have a link to that in the show notes. And for people looking for your books, you are Amazon exclusive. So Amazon.com and you write under the name T period yes. S period Paul. T.S. Paul. Yes, that is correct. Which is actually my real name. <laughs> 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 because- All right. So Scott Paul is your pseudonym. Uh, actually, that's my real name, too. All right, Scott, thank you so much for being on the show. It is always a pleasure. It is. Thank you very much, Stephen.